Welcome to the premiere broadcast of Downstage Center, a co-production of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, the Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing, and we are delighted to begin this new program to bring the personalities that make theatre great to people across the country. Our first guest, we're honored to have the multiple Tony Award winner, Bernadette Peters, <laughs> currently starring in Gypsy on Broadway. In Gypsy. I'm so happy to be here and to be your first guest. Well, welcome and thanks. Well, Howard, why don't you get started here? Well, I will. You know, it's always very interesting. We always hear from performers when they're starting a project. When it's on Broadway, you're hearing from people in previews. And, of course, we're coming now from the perspective of 400 performances of Gypsy Completed. And so instead of asking you what you're hoping to do with the role, (laughs) how do you feel the role has grown over the year? Oh, gosh. It's... uh... What, it's such a great piece, and it's written so well that it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and the cast is so amazing. Tammy Blanchard, who plays Gypsy, wrote Louise, and John Dossett uh, plays Herbie. Um, Kate Reinders plays June. I mean, they're they're just a great group of actors, an amazing bunch of actors, and we all feel so safe with each other. We can go any place, and we do. Um, I've just, I just love getting up there and taking my risks and taking my chances and 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 being up there without a high wire. It just, I keep. What really what's happened is I've learned so much about myself and how I feel about things. I was discussing this with um, Hugh Jackman. He said, "Oh, that's so interesting that you say that because I was just in Boy from Oz. He plays Peter Allen, but." In investigating yourself into a role, investing yourself into a role, you pull, you know, you're an actor, you're pulling up things in, in your life, in your past, in your, and he said, I just, I'm learning so much about how I feel about Australia and just, and different things, and, and it's been amazing, and that's what happens. Uh, it's almost like um, Eileen Atkins, in an interview she gave, she said, Sometimes I feel like I am the person. You know, you get, you hope that that can happen. That you get to feel so, so connected with it. And I'm, I'm, you learn. I'm just learning so much. Well, when you began, the New York Times tried to draw some parallels between your mother and your role as a child actor, Mm -hmm. and then the role that you were stepping into. Has that growth continued for you? Do you think you've even come to understand that more? Oh yes. I, I never was uh, playing my mother, you know. I never played um, because I I had to pull from my my uh, emotional repertoire and what I would feel about things. But I certainly um, can understand some of her points of view, and I also learned a lot about um, things that I never thought about before. And and I mean, it's the, been the best psychoanalysis you could ever hope to have. And I learned a lot about her, too. You were speaking about working with the same cast members and developing that rapport. You actually have a new cast member just joined, Lotus. (laughs) 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 They say never do a show with children and dogs. How about children and lambs? Children and lambs. (laughs) Well, our darling Tammy has to sing with the the lamb every night, you know. Lotus, I should add, is the lamb. No, Lotus is the lamb. 
And uh, and we fall in love with these lambs. I mean, it's just, you know, we go, oh, the next lamb will never be as wonderful as the last lamb. And they always are, you know. And, well, and for, this, this is lamb number 18, I believe. I haven't kept count. For, for people who don't know, this is actually known among people who do theater. Um, lambs grow very fast. So in those plays that require lambs, and there's more than just gypsy, you you have to replace them much more quickly than humans because they're sheep in no time. Yeah. Every three weeks we have to get a new lamb. So uh, Go through a lot of lambs. But But all sheep aside... <laughs> You've stayed with the same – the company members have all been together, really. The, all of the leads have, have stayed the whole time. Um, Actually, that... most of the whole company except for two that left reluctantly. We really have a lovely bond with each other. And do you find – do you get the opportunity to experiment a little, to change, to see where where you each go and, and change the shape of the scene or scenes? Or do you do you pretty much have it set at this point? No. No, we, you know, certainly you're standing in certain places and you're seeing the lines, but no, it's alive. That's what's so great about it. It's just alive every night. You don't know, you know, Tammy, you don't know where she's going to, how deep she might get or what's going to come out of her or, and and that's what she was hoping for. And also with John and, and for myself, I know that, I can go anywhere, and she'll just, I mean, she loves to work off off of you, and she'll just be right there, and I can go anywhere, and she's right there, and, you know, it's really working off one another, and the same for John. We're very lucky about that. Now, in Gypsy, you are on stage as Mama Rose, not the title character, not Gypsy herself, but her mother, Mama Rose, a good deal of the show. Yes, I am. How do you keep your energy level up for eight performances a week? (laughs) You must be exhausted by the time Sunday afternoon rolls around. You know, when I I finish Sunday afternoon, of course, not right this moment because I'm doing this and talking to you all, I sit down, uh, and I have been going to the movies, and I sit down, and I go, and I like almost (laughs) fall asleep. It's like... The the letdown, you know, the release of now I can now I can relax, and um, it just it just it's such a journey that you start at the beginning and you go through it, and before you know it, you're finished with this journey. It's it's not so physically uh, exhausting. It's kind of a little emotionally exhausting. You have to, but you just you know then you forget about it, and then you come back on Tuesday and you start it all again and. And uh, you just, it gets in your bones. It's its just pretty interesting. Well, you're at a very high level all the time during those eight shows. Mm-hmm. What do you do during the week to kind of wind down, to relax? What are you doing? You mean during time? my day off? You mean oh, you're, you're <laughs> one what you day mean? off. Yeah, we get one day off. Right, right. And uh, I just make sure I don't think about it at all. And I really sort of collapse. And usually I can't do anything until probably Monday evening because we get Sunday evening off and then all day Monday and uh, then I can sort of do something but um, you just really have to let down and don't make any plans (laughs) (laughs) now I'm curious when the show began there were some naysayers who questioned the casting that Mm -hmm. you were being cast against type and you've clearly proven them wrong are there other roles that you'd like to explore that people may not necessarily think of as Bernadette Peter roles? Well, you know, I've always sort of picked things that are just the most interesting to me. 
I think when I even played the witch, I think people were saying, you're going to play the witch? Or in Sunday in the Park in the second act, I play my lover's grandmother, you know? I mean, you, I, and then I played an old, older woman, an older, well, an old lady, <laughs> really. So uh, song and dance, I mean, I like taking chances. Song and dance, I sang the whole first act by myself. There was no one else in the first act. You know, am I crazy? I mean, you know, it's a, but uh, I like challenges, and um, I so don't know. You have about, to pick, pick, pick some challenge. What, what are uh, challenges you'd you'd like to take? Of, of obviously of the existing repertory, obviously with new work, it's impossible to. Say. Yeah, it's new. It's impossible. I mean, I sort of want to start. I mean, I sort of could think maybe about mm, some plays, maybe something like that. You know. Maybe um, maybe some Tennessee Williams, you know, mm-hmm. um, different thing. You know, Eugene O'Neill. I mean, um, um, what else? Certainly, uh, maybe you know, maybe as far as musicals. I mean, I um, I kind of did the penultimate with this one. You know, I mean, it's such a great one. It's such. This is really a play with music. That's what you know is so wonderful about it. So, I um. I don't know what other bu- musical I would do. Do you know? <laughs> I can think of countless that that it would be. You know, I'd I'd love to see your Mrs. Lovett if that was a role you thought. You oh, sure. To play. Yeah, I think that would be absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. But, let's uh, let's put a little bit of a twist on Howard's question. Are there any leading men you would like to appear opposite? <laughs> Pick your leading man. Al Pacino. Mm. <laughs> Well, I do want to pursue, you know, you commented about doing plays, and to my recollection, the only play that I can think of you in was Sally and Marcia at the Manhattan Theater Club, um, even though the vast majority of your film and television work has been dramatic work. Have you pursued doing dramatic work on stage? Has that opportunity not presented itself to you? No, I mean, I haven't really pursued it. Um, I get opportunities every once in a while and it just has to be right and I have to feel right about it and um, you know it, it's a whole other step now for me to for me in my mind I suppose to to investigate because I just doing this I feel like I'm doing a play so it's an interesting experience and also it's kind of lending itself to, in my ear I you know maybe Maybe uh, I'd, I'd enjoy doing a play. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it before, but um, it's interesting how you characterize it as a play, not as a musical. Most people would say it's a musical. You say a play with music. Well, it is. It is a musical, but right. the story is so intense, and the way it's written, Arthur, La- Arthur Lawrence wrote these incredible characters, this incredible book, and the more we do it, you know, you realize how solid it is. How well it's written, mm-hmm. how solid the characters are. And it's quite emotional for the audience. The night that I saw it a few months ago, this is, I guess, later on in the show. Louise is already a teenager, and Rose is just desperate to get her on stage as a star in any way she can. And you're, in, or you, Rose and Louise are in a, uh, a vaudeville, a burlesque house, and it's a strip house. And it dawns on Mother, Mama Rose that Gypsy should become, or Louise should become Gypsy, a stripper. And as you're coming... To that emotional moment, and you say you should be on stage or whatever the line is. My woman, daughter can do it. Probably my daughter can do it. My that, daughter yeah. can do it. A woman in the audience shrieked, "Oh my God!" 
You froze on stage. All the action froze. The audience tittered a little bit. Calm down. Obviously, this woman in the audience was so emotionally involved. Yeah. She took it as real people up on stage, not characters, but real human beings yes. coming to an emotional crisis. Yeah. I mean, that's what can happen. The way it's written, you believe what's going on, and then you, you go on this. As I said, it's this journey that you go on, the audience goes on. Quite interesting. Well, there's this interesting phenomenon, of course, with the classic musicals that the people who really love them and live them know exactly what's going to happen, and it becomes like opera. They want to see the new interpretation of the role, and we forget that there are people who haven't heard these stories told mm -hmm. before. And so the shift in the audience over a run when you move from the early months where it's really the people in the know, the first-nighters, the people who want to see, who have all that knowledge as it, as it passes by. I saw the show only a few weeks ago, and I was surrounded by people who were speaking many different languages. It was, it was quite fascinating. Has the audience response changed over the course of the year? Do you feel that at all? In terms well, each, it seems like each audience has their own personality like today the matinee it was they were quiet they were watching that and you kind of go well you know whatever they are they are and you go through the show and at the end they just like you know they just loved it and you know they explode so you you know because early on like you said they had the, we had the people that know the show and are laughing and mm -hmm. know it and da 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 and last yesterday's matinee, we also had a very vocal audience, and you and and you get people that are vocal, and you get people that are listening, and uh, as long as you're true to telling the story, you go along your your merry little way. Do you find audiences to change from say matinee to Saturday night? Are they a different audience, a different sophistication? You can't level, ever really rely or on that it just seems like you think oh saturday night this is going to be a you know a loud raucous mm -hmm. and then sometimes it's not mm -hmm. you, d you just don't know it can take that one laugher in an audience to make an audience lively or they, yeah. they just look for different things let's 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 play a song from the show okay from gypsy why don't you pick the song that you want us to play and tell oh, us why and oh a little gosh. bit about the song oh gosh oh gosh oh gosh roses turn uh yeah what, what, well, what roses turn is is I guess is is wonderful. It's great. It's the end of you pick uh, though. Yes, Rose's <laughs> turn, and she okay. uh, and she um, where she realizes her she her whole life she kind of falls apart, and she realizes what her whole life was about. Great. Let's listen. Rose's turn. Bernadette Peters, Rose's turn mm. from Gypsy. And don't forget, you have Stephen Sondheim lyrics and Jules Stein's music. You've been in several Sondheim shows, pure Sondheim. I have. How were those as experiences? Into the Woods, for example? Just great. I mean, the first one I did was Sunday in the Park, and then I went into Into the Woods. And I mean, I um, you live to be in a Sondheim show because, again, they're usually about something, and that makes it so interesting to do. Of all the shows that you've been in, and there's been a lot of them, what one was your personal favorite? <laughs> it's, always, it's kind of like asking somebody who's your favorite child if you have several children. Yes, I'm always I can I'm I'm pretty lucky. I can usually always say it's the one I'm in at the time because <laughs> I really uh, in, invest myself into these show, in shows and I enjoy doing them. And I I, I think I think this one's going to go down as something that in Gypsy Rose. How about song and dance? Where you were in the entire first act? It was wonderful. 
it was wonderful. You know, you think of each show and you go, well, I, I learned to sing during that show, you know, mm -hmm. because I would take a lesson every day with my teacher, Adrian Angel, and, sh and I really learned how to sing because I sang the whole first act by myself. That, that had to be very taxing vocally, I would think. It was. It was. But I would think, and I was thinking that this show, Gypsy, it was going to be very taxing because of all the speaking and the yelling. And so I, I then went to a wonderful voice person, Kristen Linkladder, and learned how to speak correctly on stage. Mm -hmm. And that was another wonderful gift. Now, I'm curious to jump back because, obviously, in preparing for the interview, I said, of course, I know Bernadette Peters, seen her for years, <clears throat> and pulled up all of your Broadway credits. And something very interesting turned up. There were a series of productions, uh, both off-Broadway and Broadway, in the late 60s and leading into the 70s. And I was I was quite surprised to find that there was a there was a gap from Mac and Mabel to Sunday in the Park, at least in in what I looked up. Um, was that a choice to be doing? There was certainly film and television work in there. And I'm wondering when you came back after that period off of these major shows, were these were these two different eras for you and how you worked on stage? Oh. It's interesting. I um, I th I had moved to California. In fact, I moved to California just before Mac and Mabel, and um, I had just moved, and I was in New York, uh, coming back from Canada, I think, doing some kind of game show or something, and um, I came into audition for Gower Champion with um, Jerry Herman and. And um, Michael um, wrote the Michael book. Stewart. Yeah, Michael Stewart. And um, then I auditioned, and it seemed, you know, nice. That's nice. And then I, I was about to. Oh, well, then I think I was doing some work in New York, maybe some game shows in New York. And then Jerry Herbert said, well, "Are you there? Are you still there?" And I was called me in the hotel. I said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, don't leave yet." And they would call me because. And then finally, I had to leave, and I left, and I got on. I got on the plane. I'm sitting on the plane. And all of a sudden, the, the pilot makes an announcement that the the we have a trouble with the plane. The plane's not going to take off. Please, we're going to have to change planes. So I thought, okay, uh, we have to wait till we fix it. So I, I got off the plane to call my manager in Los Angeles, who was going to pick me up, and to say... Um, well, I'm not going to be on this plane because the plane is delayed. And he said, well, just wait one second. Um, David Merrick, who was producing Macamill, they're on the they're on the other telephone. And he came back and he said, don't get back on the plane. They want you to do Mac and Mabel. Hmm. So there I was in New York with just a couple of clothes, really. I didn't have, you know, rehearsal stuff. And I just stayed. I Then I was up at the, I stayed at the Agonquin Hotel and I went into rehearsals. And you went shopping for more clothes. <laughs> when, you, there. when you started that story, I thought you were going to say the pilot came over the loudspeaker and said, uh, David Merrick would like to speak to Bernadette <laughs> Peters, so we'll be turning around. That wouldn't surprise me, <laughs> David Merrick. No. Well, we've been speaking about Bernadette the actress. How about Bernadette the singer? You've released a number of CDs on your own, not Broadway show mm -hmm. cast albums, but your own. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing as a singer. Well... I like doing concerts. I really love doing concerts and because you get to really choose whatever you want to sing. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been doing... But, you know, I have been doing a lot of um, 
Sondheim in the concerts because I I love it and the audience loves it. I'll be doing uh, like No One Is Alone, which was in Into the Woods, but I didn't sing it, and I love that song. Mm. Or I'll do, um, if I don't do something from theater, then I, there's a song called Faithless Love, which is really beautiful, um, by J.D. Souther. And um, what's going to happen, We we uh, I appeared live at Carnegie Hall, and we have that Carnegie Hall, et cetera, uh, Sondheim, et cetera, I should say, Carnegie Hall album. And it looks like we're going to release uh, a companion piece to it because we had enough music. So on that will be... Children will listen with so little mm. to be sure of. Mm. There'll be faithless love on that. Um, another song that Steve wrote, Steve Sondheim wrote. Um, they asked me why was this one of his early, early songs that he gave me for that particular concert at mm. Carnegie Hall. So uh, it's great. You could try out all kinds of things when you do your own concert and you <laughs> and you sing for people. Any idea when that might be out? Um, it might be in a, it might be in a couple in like a couple of months. That'd be great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why don't we play another song from one of your albums? Not a show album, but one of yours. Why don't you pick something, tell us about it, and we'll play it. Um. Well, would you like to play "No One Is Alone"? Anything you would like us to play, we will play for you. No one is alone. <laughs> Bernadette, thank you. Beautiful. If I were to visit your home. What would I see in your CD collection? What kind of CDs do you listen to at home? <laughs> I am very eclectic. For uh, example? Uh, Lyle Lovett. Mm. Um, Scottish <laughs> bagpipes. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, Irish music. Um, what else? You know what's really wonderful? Is I have this CD player that will... You put all the CDs in there, and it picks them randomly. The carousel, sort of, yeah. 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 Speaking of carousel, of course I have that one. But no, 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 no. I, I didn't mean the show. <laughs> I know, I, meant, yeah. I know, Ooh. I know. But what's really great, and then you really get to go, hey, I've got good taste in music, all this. And then if there's a, a clinker in there, you take it right out right away because you don't want that to come up again. But you really see, you know, I have tons of Frank Sinatra. I love mm. Frank Sinatra. And, of course, the great ladies. I have Peggy Lee and Ella Fitzgerald and... I love Keely Smith. Um, I love um, the contemporary, uh, what's her name? Uh, Cindy Lauper. Oh, I Cindy Lauper. I love Girls Cindy Girls just got to have fun. That's Cindy Lauper. Yeah. Yeah, Cindy that same Lauper. one. But yeah. you, you, you're referring to, to the newer albums where she's starting to do classics? Or all no, stuff? even yeah. the stuff that she's written even, you know, the older stuff too is great. I mean, I just I just think she's just an amazing talent. Tony Bennett, mm-hmm. you know, it's Elvis Presley. <laughs> mm. But, you know, you raised something interesting because Cindy Lauper is uh, apparently looking to move into trying to do a Broadway-style show. Uh-huh. In terms of, of stylistically going back and forth from from classic musical comedy, do you, how do you feel about as rock and pop performance has moved into theater and vice versa. Is Are those styles that you're comfortable with as they come into theater? You mean wa- watching them, you say? Watching them or or as as it comes into a style of performance? Because as you say, you're doing pop music on your personal albums. Mm-hmm. Is that is that something uh, that, that coming into theater you think? You know, it really comes down to, is it good? <laughs> you know, really, does it work? Is it is it authentic? Is it real? Is it you know? Does it make sense? Is it logical? Is are you swept away by it? Is it entertaining? Totally, you know. T- 
totally. And if it does, then it's great. I, I'm for any of that. Right. I auditioned for hair years ago. Oh gosh. Yeah, had some you know had callbacks and everything. I mean, I even recorded a little bit of that kind of music back then. But say you were to be stuck on marooned on a desert island with yeah. a handful of CDs, a handful of songs. What ones would you have? What songs would you have there to listen to? I used to listen all the time to the soundtrack to Room with a View on my mm. Bino Caro. I mean, I love that. Um, marooned with me, gosh, music. I wouldn't have any of that new age. <laughs> <laughs> it would drive you crazy. <laughs> the kind that's supposed to make you relax, and I kind of go, ugh. <laughs> um, I, have, I have to bring Frank Sinatra with me. I have lots of him in my carousel. And... Mm. Um, what else? Classical. I have classical music in there, too. Music, um, just instrumental, beautiful classical. I think that that's important to have. Um, I love it, you know? Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I love it again. Yeah. Are, are, you, are you musically trained in the, in the classical music? I actually did study some opera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't do it, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, I have. Talk it's gorgeous. Well... You really have to be a trained opera singer, but what's really great about it, it's almost like being high because you're hitting these high notes and you're feeling all this emotion, and this this high note lets it out. It's really great. You guys should try it. (laughs) I don't think anyone would want to listen to that, and certainly XM would not air it. To come back to theater, I'm I'm curious, um, some of the shows in which you've originated roles now come back as revivals, Mm. just as, of course, in a show like Gypsy, you're playing a role that has had every decade or so a major performance, and, of course, yours is one of those. What is it like to go see, do you go see, shows where you created roles and then they're revisited, such as the Into the Woods revival? Yes, I saw Into the Woods. And what's that experience like for you? Well, it's kind of wonderful because... You get to be an audience. You get to, it's a whole different experience. You're part of the audience instead of being on the stage having the experience. You're, you're enjoying it as an audience. And, um, and then you're also seeing what changes have been made. Mm-hmm. You know, little, not big ones, but little ones. You probably also see if the other person is interpreting the role any differently than you interpreted. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're looking at that also. But I think Into the Woods has been the only one so far. Well, certainly right? on Broadway, yes. There was certainly there was, uh, I, there was the uh, Sondheim celebration a couple of years ago at Kennedy Center, and there was a production. There have certainly been countless productions of Sunday in the Park. And I yes, know, but I haven't seen any right, of those. Yes, yes I haven't gone to see those. Yeah. Now, when, I, when, think, I think probably all the memories would be just flooding back. Because it was fascinating for me. I saw Maria Friedman at the Carlisle last night, who's doing several... Uh, Sondheim songs, and even as I heard her performing a couple of them, your voice came back to me because for for so many people, when there are these these major performances in a role, it is etched in someone's brain. And on one hand, we've all got to let go of them so that these pieces mm. don't become trapped in amber, yes, and we can hear absolutely. new voices for them. But it is your your mark on some of those is so extraordinary. Um, for those of us who heard them, mm-hmm. obviously it's it can be a different perspective as the person who sang them because you were never watching yourself yeah. do them. I mean, I wonder what it would be like to see Sunday in the Park because it was such an emotional experience, you know, t- to do in the first place. And 
and uh, I, I just I just wonder. Do you, ever, do you ever get to see yourself in a show on videotape, like during rehearsals? Do they tape you so you can see how you look? No. They don't do that. <laughs> would, would, would you want to? <laughs> well, no, I don't think so. Not on not, not on the stage. If we do a musical number on a television show, we used to get, get to see it. And, sure, and you can sure. make great uh, changes to it. You know, and certainly Sunday in the Park was taped for television yeah. and Into the Woods as well, the yes, original? they were so. for PBS. But, I mean, you're going so fast, time is, is, is of the essence. You don't really watch it back yeah. at that moment. And we did it um, Into the Woods. We did, um, no, Sunday in the Park, we had some live, uh, get some audience members, so we basically tried to do it and go through it. Well, and it's interesting, of course, because in theater, for the most part, you don't have the opportunity to go back and see what you've done. But you've done all of this film and television work. Do you ever go back and look at, not that I imagine you as you know, Gloria Swanson sitting <laughs> up there on Sunset Boulevard, but do you ever go back and, and take a minute just to say, gosh, what was that like 30 years ago when did The Longest Yard or, yeah. or any of those pieces or... Or do they no, just sit I mean, back if something there? if that shows up on television, I might glance at it, you know, and look at it, and because I'm critique myself, that's what you know. I'm always like, oh, how do, how do, how could I have made it better? Or I could say, oh, that wasn't too bad. But no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't been watching myself lately. <laughs> Can we play another one of your songs from a Broadway show other than Gypsy? Like, pick a show, maybe a song. How about let's show, see? And we'll play something. How about? Let's take something out of Song and Dance. Song and Dance? Unexpected Song? Or how about um, um, Unexpected Song? Bernadette Peters from Song and Dance. Bernadette, I frequently, as a radio guy who plays records on the radio, have a nightmare that my song is about to end and I have nothing else prepared and what am I going to do next? I wake up in a cold sweat. <laughs> you ever have any work-related nightmares? So what have you planned if that happens? I always wake up before the song runs out. <laughs> so I never really find out what happens. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> any Anything that you know, is in your mind, like do you wake up in the middle of the night, oh my God, I'm going to forget my lines or anything like that? Not good. I don't do that. Um, usually, I don't have theater ones. I probably, uh, you know, trying to drive a car somewhere that I can't get to. <laughs> you know, that kind, those kinds uh, of, those kinds of normal ones, but usual ones. But I haven't really um, had many theater ones that I can even um, remember. Really. How about any real life disastrous experiences? <laughs> Has anything happened on stage where? You know, something falls or whatever, a prop doesn't work or anything like that. And then what do you do when that happens? Well, the other night, actually, the phone didn't ring. Um, Cue the phone and it didn't. Huh? It didn't ring. So, so what does one do? With, well, with... Um, actually, it wasn't, my, it wasn't my time to pick it up, so Tammy picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> but I kept thinking, well, I have to be prepared in case that doesn't happen just to keep talking. You know, you just keep talking and ad-libbing mm -hmm. until something uh, until something happens. It could be a long because time. Because you don't really want to break character, and you don't want to break, you know, make a joke out of it. I just, I find that I just can't really do that. If I'm on doing a concert, that's, you wait for those things to happen. You can't <laughs> wait for something like that that you can use. The show must go on, and it does. Well, I mean, you can make jokes, and you can, you know, you wait for that spontaneous thing. You love it. But in a in a stage performance, I just feel like, Unless it's a very loose type of... I just never really feel comfortable doing that. 
I mean, I remember when in Annie Get Your Gun, when um, the the um, the power went out, and I had to say, and I, all of a sudden I had to say, and they said, oh, we don't have any more power. I said, oh, we lost the power, and I lost my accent. And the audience probably. But then I realized I dropped the whole, you know, the whole character, and I said, oh. We have to stop. We lost the power, and I lost my actor. But it is in those experiences. First of all, any time you see something dropped in a show, what I'm always amazed at is the generosity of audiences. If something oh, yeah. doesn't work, they feel more a part of what they're watching. Yes. It, it it fundamentally changes the experience. Certainly, I experience it from the audience. I can't imagine what you feel on stage. But if they realize something's gone wrong... Which, on the one hand, you must be up there going, please, God, don't let anybody realize that this has gone wrong. But somehow, an audience pulls together, and it it creates a marvelous experience, which is what is fundamentally different mm-hmm. about being on stage mm-hmm. than working in movies or film. Yeah. I mean, well, it's certainly if it's something that you can't hide, then you can, and they know they're in on it, you know, then you can just go for it and do it. I was... <laughs> I do remember a story now that you asked me. When I was in um, La Strada, which was, I think it ran one night. It was that kind of a show in Broadway. But we were out of town. and December um, 14th, 1969. That's when it opened and closed? <laughs> yes, that's when it opened and closed. Um, we were out of town. And the story is that uh, Zampano kills the character... The Fool, played by Larry Kurt, and um, he kills him, and then he puts him under a car to make it look, and then he drops the car on him. They're changing the tire on the car so that the, the car is jacked up, and then he drops the car to make it look like an accident, like he, he was murdered, killed, actually, from the car dropping on him. And I adore Larry, and we, were, we, and we got along great, and, and um, uh, he probably won't mind me telling this story. He's gone now, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind. But anyway, um, so he's he's murdered. He's put under the car. And then Stephen Perlman, who plays Zampano, drops the car. And Larry says, ow. <laughs> ow. <laughs> well, this dead body. So there was no, well, the audience just like roared. There was no, you know, covering that up. I mean, that was so... They roared, they roared, they roared. But it was a very dramatic moment. So I just waited, and I mean, I, I just waited, really. St- I, I couldn't, you could either break up and laugh hysterically, or I just stayed really serious and girded my loins and just stayed in it even more because I had to, because otherwise everything, what would happen? There's, it, and the story would get more dramatic as it went on. There was no way to, so I just, Held, held, held. And finally, it just it came back down eventually. But it was a riot <laughs> when the corpse yelled. <laughs> you got off stage. Then you laughed. <laughs> but I guess in the back of your mind, you always have to be prepared for something unexpected to happen, don't you? Well, well, you just hope that in the moment you'll be able to, to handle it, cover it, you know, go with it, whatever. And I guess you just hope it's not from a fellow actor like that. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're doing a comedy and there's a lot of looseness involved, mm-hmm. you can you can do something. But if you're I just believe to keep going. 
Now, I want to go off on a tangent for a moment because it's it's been a few years, but I had the weird experience uh, of being up one Saturday morning and aimlessly flipping through the channels, and I stumbled across Animaniacs, and there was your voice. <laughs> I have to ask, how did that come about? They certainly used you to great effect because even though you were playing a cartoon character, they you were always aware that it was Bernadette Peters. What was that about? How did oh, that come about? What was what was, was that like? It was just fun. It was uh, they said this was happening, and would I be interested in doing it? And I said, yeah, sure. And I saw Rita, Rita the cat, and uh, and just went in. And it's a that's a whole other technique, a whole other world. Um, I started doing it and started to have a really great time. And then the kids get to know me because you're an you know you're an animated figure. And, um, but that's, that's like using another part of yourself, totally. Have you had the experience? I mean, obviously, the kids only know the cartoon. Do they, do you, do you have children who just suddenly hear your voice and get very confused and wonder? Not confused. They just were fans and they know <laughs> that I was Rita the Cat and they would come over and say hello to me. I mean, it was, huh. it was lovely. <laughs> it was terrific. And since then, I did, you know, some, um, Beauty and the Beast Christmas and, all those, all those uh, Anastasia, Anastasia. So there is a brand new CD just came out a couple months ago, starring you and Nathan Lane, oh, yes. called Sherry, which is magnificent. And this is a show from 1967, I think. Something like that. That they thought had been lost forever. The the original yeah, uh, the score and all that. Amazing. It was resurrected, and you and Nathan star in it. Yeah. It's just a fun, fun album. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, uh, James, I did the actor's studio one night, and I had dinner with James Lipton afterwards, and um, he wrote it. He had written this musical Sherry, and he said he this wonderful thing happened. We thought the score, the show closed, and we thought everything was put, you know, sent away to be in storage, and we couldn't find it. So we thought it was just lost forever. And um, he had someone start to track it down. It was found in Washington, in the library there, I believe, one of the uh, musical libraries. And they found the whole score, and he decided he would just. It was the. It's the man who came to dinner, which Nathan had just finished playing on Broadway. And he just thought, well, he could put a great cast together. And f- and they never recorded the album. They just never got to do it. Put a great cast together. And he asked um, myself and Nathan and Carol Burnett and um, Tommy Toon, a lot of wonderful people, to uh, come in and do it. And, uh, and we did. And I got to work with Nathan. Mm-hmm. Actually, I worked with him once before. We did a um, thing for um, great performances. And I played an opera singer who had uh, stage fright, and he played the stage manager. And um, that Terrence McNally wrote. But uh, So I got to work with him, though, as a, a leading man and mm-hmm. singing, and he was a doll, and it was really a lot of fun. It was well, great. In, in Sherry, you play Maggie, who's the, I guess you could say, neglected secretary to Sheridan Whiteside, the, the namesake Sherry of the show. Mm-hmm. Can we play a song from that? And if so, which one? Sure. Well, you know what song I love? It's a duet, though, with Nathan. It's Au Revoir. Hmm. I think it's gorgeous. Let's listen to it. I'm very curious as I look at the list. You have worked with extraordinary directors in your career. Certainly several shows with James Lapine, um, Graciela Danielle. How have those experiences been? And and 
how do each of those directors have they helped shape your performances and your growth as a performer? Well, I mean, it's so interesting that every director is is so different. Uh, Grazie works very. Uh, she loves you to just. She calls it being a collaborator. You know, she just loves for you to. Co- and what's great about it, we said, gee, I have an idea about something. Try it, try it. You know, rather than don't do that <laughs> before they even see it. She gives you the freedom to really feel good about. You know, just being creative and just to go ahead and do it and so the whole room becomes a whole big creative room which is wonderful and James loves actors he just gets such a kick he laughs cause, and he's the writer usually also he's the writer director so he loves when you bring in things and he he loves because he writes very serious things he loves cheap shots every once in a while <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a riot he's wonderful and this Gower Champion, who was the choreographer director, and they can be very intense because it's a lot to have to concentrate on. They have a lot of work to do, a lot of work. But he was a joy to work with, and I I remember the experience of Mac and Mabel. I we didn't, you know, I just said, well, this was such a great experience. Before we opened, I said, I would do the whole thing all over again, just because it was so wonderful to work with with him and Jerry and. Mike Stewart, and, and Robert Preston. Bernadette, Mr. You, Kirk, too. You look absolutely terrific. What <laughs> What do you do health-wise? What do, you, do, you, do you work out? Do you exercise? What kind of foods do you eat? <laughs> well, I um, usually I exercise a lot, but with this show... You don't need to. <laughs> the, the show I, is I, I sort of don't. I mean, what I do do, which is kind of funny, uh, my dresser and I, in intermission, we do... Some push-ups and sit-ups. You do push-ups <laughs> during intermission? Yeah, it gets the blood flowing. <laughs> wow. Push-ups, sit-ups, and some uh, things called squats, you know. Uh-huh. And um, and I eat. I have to eat pretty light for the show. Do you, do you sh- eat after the show? the show? No, I don't like to eat after the yeah. show. I really mostly eat, eat lunch. That uh-huh. can be That's fish or chicken. Yeah. yeah, and then I eat just a little bit of light soul from Frankie and Johnny's. <laughs> now, when when, when the, the curtain show. finally falls at the end of the show, it must take you a while to come down from that. You can't just go home and go right to sleep, can you? You sort of can when it's, uh, you know, an 8 o'clock show. From the matinee sometimes, the the, uh, the Sunday matinee finishes at 6, and even though you're exhausted, you still really can't relax until, you know, the usual time, 1 o'clock at night, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I can, um, after a show like this, you really are... Wiped out, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> you are. You let's, in the few minutes left, let's pick one more song to play of all the songs you've recorded over the years, whether it's a personal album or a Broadway album. Maybe it's Annie Get Your Gun. Maybe it's something I by Sondheim. Oh, you know what would be nice? If you were the only boy in the world. Hmm. That's a personal album. Okay. That just about is going to wrap things up. Bernadette, after Gypsy, what can we look forward to? <laughs> a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and it re- reminds me, I do want to ask one more question before we go. Gypsy was going to close a couple of months ago, and then it got a much-deserved reprieve, which seems to be now borne out at the box office. But we've read articles about cast members going out and actively working to sell tickets, which is quite extraordinary. But... What's that effect been on the company of of thinking it's over and then then coming back from the brink? 
Well, we didn't want it to be over. They were everybody was pretty sad when we thought it was going to be over, and we figured out, you know, how to just to to keep it going. And um, the cast members that go out and, and at TKS, they they love the show, and they love talking about the show. And the, and 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 it is. It's a really it's a really good show. <laughs> that it is. I mean, it's one of the best shows ever written. The play and the music. So. And um, so they go out there, and, and apparently people, when they get on TKS, they don't really know what they're going to see, and then they tell them who's in it, and they tell them Sam Mendes directed it, and they tell them who wrote it, and they, tell, they go, oh, oh, we should see that, you know? So it's been... It's it's really um, like a, a, a lovely family that you like everybody the cast members there's not like a bad apple in the bunch and they are we have I think one of the most talented group of people on Broadway all the young people in the show they're young a lot of them um, whenever the understudies go on they're amazing everybody was handpicked by Sam Mendes and everybody is extraordinarily talented that when an understudy goes on you go wow they're, they're, they were they're a great and he picked great people besides so we care about each other, and it's really, really been wonderful. So this is like part of the family going out, and, and we call um, Ben Cullen, who who's like heads up the, uh, the the TKS part of it. He's our our little producer in training. He's really, I think, going to have a a great career. Well, the commitment is extraordinary. The commitment of your cast, your commitment to this show, is so other. extraordinary yeah. to see. And 400 performances in with a performance that has just gotten deeper and stronger as it's gone and on. And I love Tammy Blanchard, and I love John Dossett and Kate Ryan. They're just great people and great actors. We're so... And I've been in a lot of shows, and this is very extraordinary experience. Thank well, you. Well, it's an extraordinary experience for us sitting in the seats as well. Thank you for being our first guest <laughs> on Downstage Center, and thank you for all of the joy that you've brought to thank people you, on thank stages. You, John. And I will second that. Thank, thank you so you. much, and all the best to you in the future, and I hope we'll see you again here at XM28 on Broadway. My pleasure. And that does wrap up our first show of Downstage Center with... I'm Howard Sherman from the American Theatre Wing. And I'm John Von Susten from XM28 on Broadway. Join us again next week at the same time for the next edition of Downstage Center. And let me end the show for you. Ta-da! <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> <laughs>